I'll be reading from Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Grace to you and peace, faith family. This morning, if you are with us for the first time, you have come at a great morning. Uh, obviously, we believe all mornings are great mornings, for they are just a uh, demonstration of God's providence and His goodness to us. But this morning particularly, we are starting a new series. Our series is entitled Lady Wisdom. And what we're going to do now is we're going to begin to go back to the book of Proverbs and we're going back to this book in an effort to grant us wisdom. Wisdom. There were a few reasons behind our decisions here this year, particularly in our preaching calendar, and the reason that we decided to uh, take our journey into Proverbs. Namely, we knew we were going to spend a large majority of the first quarter in the New Testament in the book of Acts, and then we were going to return to the New Testament in dealing with the, the Easter message of the resurrection. So we felt that it was, it was good for us because, ladies and gentlemen, as we go through the church and as we go through our lives, and we want a steady diet of balanced biblical preaching. A steady diet, if you will, of balanced biblical preaching. And our desire is to give this healthy and balanced diet. And after spending a quite of time in the New Testament, we felt it was right and beneficial and beautiful for us now to uh, chew, if you will, on some of the old. 
Secondly, we have never preached, since I've been here in the 11 years as your pastor, we have never preached a series in the book of Proverbs, which as I looked at my preaching calendar over the past 11 years, I realized that and I felt that now is a, as good a time as any. And the reason that is, is our third reason for doing that is because, ladies and gentlemen, if we have ever lived in a culture that is in desperate need of wisdom, it is, it is today. What we see in our culture, we see cultural pillars being deconstructed before our very eyes. Things like truth. I mean, think about that. When you deconstruct truth, what do you have left? Things like love. When we deconstruct love and truth and wisdom... So think about, we've deconstructed love, the greatest ethic, we deconstructed wisdom, the greatest thing to know, and we deconstructed truth, and now what are we left with? We are left with chaos. So we believe as elders, and I believe as the, the pastor here, it is very, the, one of the pastors here, it is very important to feast on the wisdom of God's word. So we decided a preaching series in the book of Proverbs would feed us some of the necessary nutrients that we are in need of as we engage the world and we live in the world around us. And it has become to me quite evident that even those in our faith family, that many of you are in places right now in your life where you are in need of wisdom. I know I am in place in my life where I'm in need of wisdom. I know uh, there are many decisions to be made, many ideas that are coming my way, many, uh, and it comes from everywhere. There has never been a time in the history of, of, of mankind that we have had so much information than we have now. So with the more information, you must have greater wisdom in order to process that. So for those of you who are here wondering what is this idea of a proverb, one pastor said it like this, and I think it was quite, uh, quite uh, uh, good in our modern day culture. I want you to think of Proverbs as God's Twitter feed. Okay, Think of Proverbs as God's Twitter feed. And the reason that is is because Twitter only gives you a, f- a limited amount of characters. right? Back in the day, I think it was about 140. Today, I think they've gone to 280 or something like that. I think it's about 280 characters in order to communicate something very important. And Proverbs is like this. It is a book where God is going to provide general truths for wise living, but he is going to do this in bite-sized pieces, which I am grateful for, right? So it's a book where God is going to provide general truths for wise living in bite-sized pieces. And this small but powerful book is packed with truths about godly living. And over the next few weeks, we're going to pay particular attention to the first few chapters of the book. Where the writer, and the reason for the title of this sermon series, the writer, especially over the next four weeks, today is an introduction message to Proverbs so we can understand what we're getting at when we go through this. But for the next four weeks, we're going to go into four particular sections between chapters 1 and 9 where the writer of Proverbs speaks about Proverbs in the terms of a lady, lady wisdom. And, and he's going to personify, if you will, wisdom for us through the personification of this woman. 
And now, before we dive into Lady Wisdom and we see her, heard herself, it is important to first to be introduced to the book of Proverbs. And that is exactly what we're going to do this morning. It's exactly what I've entitled my sermon, The Introduction to Proverbs. And I know, brilliant, right? This guy ought to have a degree in something. Uh, and we call that uh, common sense. Uh, so, the first thing I have here, again, you are going to be amazed at these uh, at these brilliant titles that I have come up with. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for being amazed. The first thing we have is the title. The title, chapter 1, verse 1 here. Uh, which John, the reader this morning, decided to totally skip. Which I don't know what he had against verse 1, John, but it is a part of Proverbs 1. It's okay, we can read it ourselves, and we know that it, he just, he, I guess he assumed that was a, just a postscript or a prescript or just his own script. <laughs> he just, but that's okay. We're going to get there anyway. I love you, brother. Uh, so we have the title. <laughs> the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So here we are told that this book is about Proverbs. Proverbs, which means a comparison. It means ethical teaching. It comes with the idea, ladies and gentlemen, of setting two things side by side and comparing them for the purpose of providing counsel, wise counsel. Not necessarily for the purpose of providing us eternal promises. And this is where you've got to look at the book of Proverbs from its appropriate perspective. Uh, and it's very important that you understand that. See, Proverbs is not a book that is meant to be read as the end-all book to right actions. But it does give direction to right actions. Does that make sense? So it's not this end-all book to right actions, but it does give uh, declaration and, 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 and wisdom to right actions. It is more of a selective demonstration of what we would call a godly example. Proverbs are different from riddles. Riddles are purposely obscure. It's something that you have to solve. You give a riddle and you're saying, hey, can you solve this obscure reality? And a proverb is not like that. It's not a hidden truth veiled by obscurity. Proverbs, ladies and gentlemen, are meant to shine light on truth. Uh, in other words, it's truths made compact. It's taking general truths and it's making them compact, which is good for me because often my memory is weak. And Proverbs are a great place for me to go for truths that are made compact. One commentator stated this, and I found it extremely helpful, such to the point that I'm not going to try to restate it, I'm going to actually just read it. And I think that is helpful for me, and I hope that you find helpful in it also. And this is what he says, quote, Proverbs are meant to be to our practical life what the Psalms are to our devotional life. This is their general significance. Pointed precepts for practical prudence. Pointed precepts for practical prudence. Laws from heaven for life on earth. Counsels from above for conduct here below. Words of the wise on the ways of the world. Homily wit for the daily walk. But it is human wit shot through with divine wisdom. And he who is well versed in it will be soundly guided and safely guarded. I like that. I thought that was very helpful for me. 
We may put it in this general idea. The book of Proverbs is, this is the way I've kind of uh, paraphrased it, is prudence through precepts. Prudence through precepts. The word for proverb comes from the verb meaning to rule. So these are given to rule or to govern our lives. They're not a selection of these pithy sayings, but, but ladies and gentlemen, this is godly wisdom, but also reminded it is the Spirit of God that guides us in our understanding of these proverbs. So this is what a proverb is. And I want you to notice we are told that the author is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now we will learn that this is not implying that the entirety of the book is authored by Solomon. We know this because the Proverbs themselves gives us various authors. You can see that as we go, as we go through it. But I think it's helpful for us that when it talks about that it is a book, author, the author is Solomon, when it says the Proverbs of Solomon, it is saying that it grants us direction from whom this was written and for what purpose. The postscript, by the way, the son of David and king of Israel, are so that the reader, you and I, we are not mistaken, and that we can know that this is the selfsame Solomon to whom God appeared in a dream to him. And in prayer, Solomon asked for understanding, for the heart to judge God's people, to discern between what? Good and evil. He asked for wisdom. And by the way, this pleased God so that God richly blesses Solomon, not only with understanding and discernment, that he requested, but he also gave him long life and riches as well. You can study this and read about this in 1 Kings chapter 3. So what I'm getting at here, this is not to say that Solomon is uh, the writer of every word of this book, but from Solomon, the one who wisdom has been given, he is the one in which uh, it all procures from. He is the king that we can look to for that reality. Furthermore, I want to say this, and I think this is important because some of you are going, wait, Solomon? Right? Uh, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is not to say that because we listen to the wisdom of Solomon that he lived the most exemplary life. Right? As a matter of fact, it shows this. That with all the wisdom and understanding in the world, you can still decide to do stupid, foolish things. If it shows us anything, this man has been given wisdom. He has been given the capacity to know the difference between right or wrong. But the problem between wisdom and will becomes very evident to each of us. I mean, I think that is the story for most of you whose almond tree has blossomed, yeah? By the way, if you don't know what that euphemism is, that riddle, it means that they have gray hair. Okay? For those of you who have gray hair, and I'm getting more of them, I realized this very morning that just because I have the wisdom doesn't mean I have the will to always follow that wisdom. You see, ladies and gentlemen, here's the truth of the Bible, especially if you're here and you're not a believer. You see, our faith in the Bible doesn't rest on the goodness of the men who wrote it, but on the God who gave it. All of the men chosen by God By the way, which is beautiful, because I'm going to plant this firmly in your seat in a few moments. Because all of the men chosen by God to be channels of his message were marred with sin and deficiencies. Aren't you grateful? 
Because this means that the man who sits in my seat at this very moment, who looks me in the mirror, that God can, sell, that God can choose him full of sin and deficiencies, yet still be of use. And I'm grateful for that. Listen to what one author writes. He said, quote, If all the writers of the Bible had been perfect in holiness, if no stain of sin could be traced on their character, no error noted in their life, it is certain that the Bible would not have served all the purposes which it now serves among men. It would have been God-like indeed in matter and mold, but it would not have reached down to the lowest estate of man. It would not have penetrated to the sores of the human heart. For engraving the life lessons of His Word, our Father uses only diamonds, but in every diamond there is a flaw, and in some a greater and in some a less. And who shall dare to dictate to the omniscient the measure of defect that binds him to fling the instrument as a useless thing away. I love that. I love that. So here we have a resource, a guide from the wisest, richest, and most honored king. I also want you to notice in this uh, that we did not read, I want you to notice in verse 8 that it says this book is directed to his son. Hear my son your father's instructions. So ladies and gentlemen, this not only adds intimacy, but importance. And it also may reveal that it is used for the building up of a king, by a king, from a king, for a king. Young men, are you listening to me? The book of Proverbs was written of a king, uh, for a king, by a king, from a king. It is teaching his young son, he is a king, teaching his young son what it looks like to be wise as a king. What it looks like to have kingship over your own life and over the lives of those that you have been accounted for. I often instruct young men that when you find yourself not knowing what to read, have you ever gotten there? You know, you're in your Bible studies, and maybe you don't find a, follow a Bible written plan. Maybe you kind of find yourself at times, hey, I want to read through the book of Romans. And then I have a pause, and there's this certain, phrase, certain distance of time that now I don't know what I want to read next. I don't really want to know a study. So what typically happens during that time frame is what do you find? People stop studying, and then that prolongs, and then they find out it's easy to stop studying, right? That's, that's an easy path, so they, they end up stop studying. So when young men come to me and they go, hey, I'm between books, what do you suggest? I always tell them the book of Proverbs and the date. Example, today is March 5th. So you would go to Proverbs 5 and make that a part of your Bible study. See, when I'm in between my Bible studies, that's typically what I do. So I'm reading through the book of Proverbs, uh, or let's say reading through the book of Romans. I get done with Romans. I'm in this pause. I don't know whether to go to Philippians or Ephesians for a couple days, so I'm, I'm pinging back and forth on what to do. So what I'm going to do is pick up Proverbs, and I'm going to read in that because I know that I can read the book of Proverbs and come away with great wisdom. And it works out well because there are 31 Proverbs. So, these Proverbs often are short, but they give us the capacity to read and to ponder individual, uh, individually. Some sayings intended for a reason, but useful to the extent to which it was intended. Proverbs 26.7, I think, says it best. Like a lame man's leg that hangs limp is the proverb in the mouth of a fool. True wisdom 
is gain, ladies and gentlemen, from the experience of others so you don't have to make the same mistake yourself. So that's the title. It's a proverb from Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Now, second, we are going to go into a predominant part of this, which is the target. This is verses 2 through 6. Or the purpose or the intention. I put target because it started with a T. That's all I got. The target, the purpose, the intention. Eight purposes listed by the word to. And you're going to find that through verses 1 through 6. Look at... To, how repeated it is, to know, to discern, to receive, to give, to the youth, to understand. And it goes uh, uh, on and on and on with this idea of to. So first, what we're going to have is the target is first to know wisdom and instruction. So these Proverbs are written for the intention of the student. It's not the imparting of knowledge that is the purpose, but it's the appropriation of, or the, 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 uh, the, the working out of that knowledge to us. Wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, is the purposed end of knowledge and instruction. Wisdom is the purposed end of knowledge and instruction. Not merely scientific knowledge or knowledge of how things work or philosophical knowledge, knowledge of how, thing, how we think, but it is the ability to apply, the power to judge, the cognitive capacity to fasten or to fix. In Hebrew, it is the word chokmah, C-H-O-K-M-A, C-H-O-K-M-A. It's an attribute of God that God, by the way, uses back in Genesis 1 to create the world, and it has been woven into the fabric of everything, and it's woven into the fabric of how things work in God's world. It's wisdom. It's like a moral law of the universe. It's the cause and effect pattern that no one can escape. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Proverbs indicates that all of us have access and all of us can interact with wisdom. And no matter what you believe about God or don't believe about God, to believe to know this, it will cause and you, we can utilize it to flourish in humanity for ourselves and for others. And we can create it like, with, like a designer. We can utilize the wisdom to cultivate and create flourishing of life, regardless of your belief or unbelief. So I say that to say it was a part of the creation mandate, a part of the dominion mandate. He gave it, this wisdom has been given to all of humanity. And I want you to know this, this is the beauty, even a broke clock gets it right twice a day. Right? So it's, it's for all of us. But I want you to know this. It is for all of us, but for us who are believers, it, we, we hold that it isn't an impersonal force. It isn't energy, quote-unquote. Wisdom is the attribute of our God. He is omniscient. He is wisdom. And since God is the beginning and God is the end of all wisdom, it is that insight into upright living that will glorify God himself. That's why I tell people, unbelievers all the time, if you live wise, you have to know that you're actually glorifying God because to live wise is to bring him glory because he is wisdom. 
See, you're doing it and you don't even mean to. The brilliance of God, right? Deny me and still glorify me. Watch this. Pretty amazing. To know wisdom and to know instruction. Instruction, ladies and gentlemen, is knowledge made practical. Instruction is wisdom's practical side. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, when they came in and they translated this, they used the Greek word paideia, which in the New Testament, Hebrews, it's often translated discipline. Not discipline of punishment, but discipline in the way in which it is both the process and the system and the result of the goal of learning. And here it says that the book of Proverbs has been given to you for you to know wisdom and to know instruction. Second, to discern the sayings of understanding. By the way, going back to one, how many of you in this room are in need of wisdom and instruction, right? Anybody? I think Proverbs would be a great place for you to go. But where do we go? I wonder what my Facebook friends want to say about this. I wonder what the last TikTokian wants to talk to. Mm-hmm. I wonder what my therapist wants to say about it. I wonder what my boss thinks. You want to know wisdom and instruction? I think a great place to start would be the God who knows all wisdom and instruction. Secondly, I'm going to move on here because we don't want to spend all day on that. Well, yeah, we do. Uh, let's go to second. It says to discern the sayings of understanding. To discern, by the way, is to distinguish, which is another word for discern between truth and false and good and bad. And Proverbs has been given for this purpose. Both Aristotle and Plato would use the word as a virtue concern in the governing or the management of affairs. Let me put it like this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to put it on street language. It's how to conduct your business. How to handle your business. How to, how to deal with your life. So is anybody interested in Proverbs yet? No, it's going to give me wisdom, it's going to give me instruction, it's going to tell me how to conduct my business. All right, that's not enough, let's go to the third one. The third one, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. I do want you to pay particular attention to the need of the reception of this instruction. It's not the same word as to know in verse 2. To know wisdom. It's not that same word in verse 3. To receive is a different word. It is a Hebrew infinitive, which means the idea that we are to take, we are to lay hold of. It is the intellectual reception of instruction. You see, in verse 2, it was objective. 
Here it is used to obtain. And, and so what we're giving here is a Proverbs is going to help us grab and receive something because we are in need of something. What are we in need of? Well, thank you for asking. He's going to tell us four things that he's going to tell us. Ready? What are the four areas we are going to receive instruction in? Wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. And you know, this book is just out, it's antiquated. It's just old. I come to, me, I come to people all the time, and they, you know, uh, the Bible has no relevance to our modern day life. No, not like anything like righteousness and equity and justice. Ah, those little things. Uh, to me, it's so practical. It's so real. And it's also intended to, fourthly, fourthly, it's also intended to give prudence to the naive. Prudence to the naive. We are introduced to those whom these words will benefit the most. Another translation is this, subtlety to the simple. So who, who are Proverbs for? It's to you who are naive, to you who think too simply about things. It means to be open. It means to be openly or easily impressible. You know, I was just watching a show the other day, and it was telling, it was telling people, particularly those of us who are of the faith, it tells us that we are to be quote-unquote open-minded. Open-minded. Hey, try that with your water. In other words, just let your water kind of sit out in the outdoors and let it be open-minded and take a drink. No, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be sure that there is something worse to believing in nothing. It's to believe in everything. We need to be cautious in our world where people are coming that telling us that there is some sort of moral compass in our lives that to be open-minded is to be better. No, ladies and gentlemen, that is to be naive and is to be easily impressed. You're unable to know what is evil and you're inexperienced in life. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a metaphorical expression to have the ability to escape the trickery of others. Does that make sense? A metaphorical, to be naive, to be, have wisdom for the naive, is to be able to escape the trickery of others. Oh man, I got stories. People often, often come up and ask me, hey, pastor, how do you deal with this situation and this situation and this situation? And I, and I inevitably say it's just wisdom. I've just done it a hundred times. I've been there. I've seen it. I've had the story. Let me tell you a story. This is a good story. Man walks into my office. Actually, he walks into Brenda's office and I happen to be there. And uh, she said, Brenda comes to me and she goes, Pastor, this man is in need of help. So I go in there, and it's inevitably the situation. Inevitably. Pastor, I need, I need extreme help. I need gas money to get to Louisiana. Oh, okay. What's in Louisiana? My mother, she's in the hospital. Really? Yeah, which hospital? I don't know the name. Was it in New Orleans? Well, yeah. Well, how do you know where you're going if you don't know the name of the hospital? Well, my brother knows the name of the hospital. Oh, well, let's call your brother and find out the name of the hospital so I know how much money to give you to get the gas to where you're going. Okay. 
And I said, so you're wanting to get to New Orleans to get gas in order to get there. Yes, so I want to help you, so I'm going to give you this gas. Okay, hey, pastor, um, I'm going to go out to my car and get my brother's phone number. Oh, you don't have your brother's phone number? No. Oh, you got it programmed. I, I'm that way, too. I don't even know my kids' phone numbers. You know, I just say, hey, call Morgan. You know, call Kenzie Siri. Siri knows more of my business than I do. So I say, yeah, yeah. And inevitably, this is what I do. I go into Brenda's office, put my hands in my pocket, and I just look out the window. Gets in his car, and he, he leaves. How do you know to ask those questions? Just wisdom. I'm not naive. I'm not stupid. I'm not foolish. I've been through this too many times. Am I willing to help? Absolutely I'm willing to help. But I will not be lied to in the process of being helped. Ah, I love it. This idea of the awareness of good and evil. By the way, these, ladies and gentlemen, these Proverbs are going to assist you young people. Right? It's going, to exi- it's going to assist those who are inexperienced in life. If you've never been raised on the streets, I want, aware, I want you to be aware of the ruling of the streets. We would use the word shrewd, by the way, for this idea. Let's move on. Fifthly, it's to give knowledge and discretion to the youth or to the adolescent, to the younger Which is why I recommend the book of Proverbs to all teenagers. It's to give you knowledge and discretion. Awareness of good and evil through the perception of your senses. Young people, this is going to assist you from being duped by your own stupidity. Now I know that we don't like to say that in our world. We like to encourage young people that you are so smart, you are so intelligent, you have so much potential. And that you have it all together. That's why we have 16-year-olds going to their parents, telling their parents how to run life. That's why. Because we've told them that they're so smart. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I believe, young people, listen to me. I believe you have tremendous potential. I believe you have tremendous opportunity in our country. And by God's grace, he has gifted many of you with much more intelligence than I have. But you are fundamentally stupid. You are foolish. And the problem is, we don't like giving people a mirror and say, deal with it. I know that I'm stupid in some things. I know I'm foolish. That's why I depend on the wisdom of others to help me through my stupidity, to help me through my foolishness. Because the dumbest thing you're going to find out, now I'm speaking real, right? Y'all, I'm speaking legit truth to you. Because the dumbest thing you're going to find out is when you reach 40 years old, your mom and dad got smarter. Y'all don't get it. You See, you don't even get that little sense of humor. But by the time you turn 40, you're going to be like, man, I sound and look a lot like my mom and dad. They were pretty smart. If I would have just, oh my gosh, how many times have I heard, if I would have just listened to my dad. And I'm telling you, guys, I can't give it any other way that the youth, to, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Why, do, why, does the pro, why does Solomon say that the youth need knowledge and discretion? Because you don't have it. I'm not making fun of you. I don't have it at times. I didn't have it when I was your age. Oh, but I thought I did. Why? Because the world told me that I had all the knowledge and I, I had everything I needed in me. And if I would just go and embrace myself, I'd be everything. That's foolish. And that's why our world is in the way it is. That's why you have Furbies. That's why you have young people walking around thinking they're animals because somebody somewhere didn't tell them you're stupid. 
And I love you. If you're in here and you think you're a Furby, I love you and you're dumb. Both can simultaneously happen. You are not an animal. You are not an elf. You are not a squirrel. You're not a dog. Get up. Stop acting stupid. And what we have done in our culture is in our culture, you can't say that anymore. You might hurt their feelings. Well, I would rather hurt their feelings to let them grow up in truth. Uh, 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 falsehood. Lies, I'm sorry. It's not loving to let people do that. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I have a feeling I'm going to get a letter later. And that's okay. I don't want you to mistake me. Stupidity is the right word. And the irony, here is the irony. It is this. The stupid don't know they are stupid because the wise understanding how much they will really know. You see, that's, that's the crazy. The stupid people don't know they're stupid. That's why you got to tell them, that's stupid. I'm already offending some of you. Tell me. Help me. Let me move on before I hurt other people. Sixth, and this is the beauty. So this is the paradox. Sixth, to the wise man they will hear an increase in learning. You see, with wisdom comes the desire for what? More wisdom. Hey, I don't think I want to do that again, guys. Uh, there was a day in which I was getting into the woodworking business. Shay and I were making signs, and I was out in the backyard, and I was using this thing called a table saw. Little did I know, having never used a table saw, that that thing will grab your finger and pull it straight through. I walk in one day, I go, hey, Shay, we might need to head to the doctor. Why? I think I just cut my thumb off. It was literally hanging off. And she goes, okay. So we go to the doctor, get it all glued up, because apparently staples and stitches have become vogue now. They just use super glue. Legitimately, they use cotton picking super glue. I could have went to O'Reilly's, bought me some super glue. This is stupid. I'm dead, and I'm, not, I'm serious, right? They have super glued many parts of my body, and I'm like, why? I'm not a free. What is going on? So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about this, and we are sitting there talking about our woodworking business. I said, hey, Shay, I don't think I'm going to do that again. I don't think. I've only got nine other ones left, right? I don't think I'm going to do that again. Smart. Because wise people want to be what? Wise. And so I know that when I say that p stupid people don't want this kind of wisdom, they're going to react with stupidity because wise people want this kind of wisdom and they react with wisdom. That's what wise people want. It's amazing, right? It's, I know. Brilliant. You see, the wise never say, I have no need of more wisdom. They've tuned their hearts and their ears to the sounds of wisdom's harmony. And in this hearing, they will increase in learning. Proverbs 9.9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his wisdom. Jesus would say something about this in Matthew. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 12. Jesus said, and the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? 
Jesus answered him and said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Seventh, to the man of understanding they will acquire wise counsel. A man of understanding is like a man with intelligence who is willing to lay himself open to instruction. I want you to notice the phrase, will acquire, or will seek, or, hey, will go get. That's another thing we've kind of lost. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go seek it instead of laying, laying on your little couch and going, I'm just waiting for wisdom to come to me. Wisdom, O oh wisdom, come to thou. Which would put you back in what platform? Stupidity, right? Back to naive, naivete, because only naive people think they can do nothing and receive wisdom. Oh, I'm preaching. And what is it that they want? Wise counsel. This is a word derived from the word used for a ship's rope. It is the acquisition of prudence. The way in which a man directs his course for the purpose of being grounded or for the purpose of being tied to something. The Latin translated uses the word gubernatio. Gubernatio. Sound familiar? We translate our word for governor or to govern. In other words, it's, the, it's what's given to you, Proverbs, are to help you govern your life. It's the practical correlation to learning, which is to acquire wise counsel. And eighthly, eighthly, it's to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Remember I told you riddles were for the purpose of obscurity. Proverbs are the purpose for helping you understand those riddles. Written so that we understand a proverb and its figure or its interpretation from the words of those who are wise and from the riddles of those who are wise. And when I talk about these riddles, some of your translations may say dark sayings. It is spoken, it is speaking of those things that are obscure, that comes from the word of tying knots. It's the twisting or difficult sayings of the wise which knowledge, understanding, and wisdom will all provide. And this is what this entire letter is all about, yo. Solomon is challenging us to a mastery, not an awareness. He wants us to master this. He wants his son to master this. I want my son to master wisdom. I want you men to master wisdom. And these are the keys to attaining life and wisdom. These are the keys. And so we have these realities. We have these truths that have went through. And now what I want us to do is go from the title, from the target, and now we're going to end on the theme. This is the theme of the entire book. This is the key to unlocking the book, if you will. The fundamental or foundational principle for all our biblical wisdom. Are you ready? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Beginning, beloved, the pursuit of wisdom is ultimately grounded in and flows from the fear of God. The awe 
of God. The amazement of God. How else do you think you're going to be able to see godly living without knowing the God of life? To not fear God with our knowledge will not lead to wisdom that we described. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, quote, that the fear of God is astonished reverence. This reverential fear of God mixed with love and wonder and devotion is the most enjoyable state and satisfying emotion the human soul can know. In the pursuit of this wisdom, we will be surrounded by those going in the opposite direction. That's why I've often told young people, especially the young people of our day, if you want to pursue godly wisdom, understand that you're putting yourself in the middle of the interstate and you're going the wrong way. Everybody else is driving the other direction. One of my favorite illustrations and analogies to use with students is when we go canoeing with our students together. And I love it. And we're going to do it. Every time I go canoeing, we're going to stop. And I want to tell them, what I want you to do is I want you to get in the river at the end and I want you to float all the way down. I want you to swim hard all the way down. And now what I want you to do is I want you to plant your tail on the opposite end and I want you to swim back up river. Which one's easy? It's much easier to float or swim downriver. It's much more difficult to swim upriver, right? Are everybody with me? And then I use some great theological knowledge. Ready? Here it is. Dead people float downstream. And I do say some things that are more graphic, but we're just going to stick with that. There are other things that float downstream. I'll just let you use your imagination. What does it take? What does it take to move upstream? Life, vitality, power, strength, endurance, perseverance. Sound familiar? I got done with that and we were sitting on the sitting on the shores. They were exhausted because I had them do it about two or three times just to just to get them to feel it because they're young, you know. I want them to feel it. I want their bones. I want their muscles hurting to understand. And I set them there and I said, do you understand something? I want you to understand something. Because some people look at your pastor or look at pastors or look at elders and they go, hey, you've got life kind of easy. What do you mean I got life easy? Well, you know, it's easier for you than it is for us. What do you mean? I swim upstream every day with a big light on me. I've got a big light. Everybody's watching. Is he going to slip up? Is he going to start going backwards? Is he going to do that? You might have a little bitty pin light on you. I've got a big light on me. And if you don't think I've got a target on my back when I'm swimming upstream every day, every moment, every breath of my life, I'm swimming upstream. It's a fight, and it's a fight to the finish. It's a fight to death. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. You don't know what it means to fight the, the fight of the Christian faith, the fight of faith, the fight of life until you swam upstream for 20, 30, 40 years. That's why I look at some of my elders, some of those who are older than me, who have been there, and I have so much appreciation. I stand on the back of giants, on the shoulders of men who have went before me, who have fought the good fight of faith. 
who have finished the race. And those, by the way, who have pursued wisdom will encourage you to do likewise. But the way of the fool will despise wisdom and instruction. And that expresses the entire philosophical thought of this entire book. And by the way, it expresses the entire philosophical thought of each one of you. Some of you are greatly opposed to me saying you're a stupid fool. You're greatly opposed to that. You're greatly opposed for me telling you, hey, pursue wisdom. Look for instruction. You're greatly opposed to that. And by the way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction and discipline. Because people who have failed before, people who have really messed this thing up, people who have not been wise, they are going to encourage you to pursue wisdom. People, young men, who have once in their life thought that they knew everything. Young men who once in their life thought they had it all together. Young men who once in their life wouldn't learn from those above them, instead wanted to pursue or or burn their own course. Want to come to you and go, Dearly beloved, don't do it. Please listen. Please listen. Either fear the Lord or be a fool. The fear of the Lord, a reverent, holy fear in the heart of man when we set our full affections on God. It's not a servant fear, church, it's a filial fear. A fear described in eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 13. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, he describes it to us and he says, the fear of the Lord is to what? Hate, hate, evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth, I hate. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth, I hate. That's what fear of the Lord looks like. Wisdom originates in God, and those who fear him receive this wisdom by faith. Let me say it again. Wisdom originates in God, and those who fear him receive this wisdom by faith. And those who are unwilling to know God refuse true wisdom and discipline. And the commentary on fools here, by the way, is quite, as I can say, illuminating. C.S. Lewis, when he writes Mere Christianity, he says this, and I quote, he says, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things. A proud man is always looking down on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Many of you have heard the terms from Rene Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. 
Proverbs 1.7 is the antidote to Descartes' deadly deceptive doctrine. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor, would say this, quote, unregenerate fear drives from God, gracious fear drives us to him. Did you hear that? Unregenerate fear drives us from God, gracious fear drives us to him. And I am here to declare to you that God's wisdom is greater. Our journey to wisdom is this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom is learning. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, listen to me. True wisdom is learning those boundary lines that God has given for our good and His glory and not crossing them. The boundaries that God has given us for our good, good for our ultimate flourishing and for His ultimate glory are good and great and glorious and gracious in themselves. So I come to you and I ask you, how many of you in here this morning are burdened under the weight of foolishness? You sit at your life and you're sitting there looking, man, I'm making some pretty stupid decisions. I bet you've never heard stupid this many times in a sermon ever before, right? I'm just being foolish with life. Young men, how many of y'all are just being foolish with life? How many of you actually are believing that an image of a naked woman on a screen is actually going to bring you fulfillment? How many of you actually believe that? That's foolish. That's the epitome of stupidity. How many of you actually believe that in some way, shape, or form, what you're going to, uh, your ultimate satisfaction is going to come in something that went in which God isn't? I could go on and 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 on, and y'all know that. But I come to you and I ask, hey, how many of you are sitting here right now under the, under the weight of, of either shame, guilt, or, or maybe not fear in God, but fear of getting caught? This idea that, you know what, I just can't do this. How, how, pastor, can I be wise? I want to be wise. And this is what I hear from my young men all the time. I want to be wise, pastor. I want to be wise, uh, Don, Mr. Donnie. I want to do the things of wisdom, but I can't seem to do it. Every time I turn around, I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. How wretched of a man that I am, what do I do? Do I continue to walk in this shame? Do I continue to walk in this guilt? Do I continue to walk in this fear? Even when I don't do it, I do it, I do it, I don't do it. How many of you can identify? How many of you are sitting in these seats desiring and now you're here going, wait, I want to be wise. I just don't know how. I don't know. I can't do it. I'm sinful. I'm wretched. I can't do it by myself. I want to welcome you to the front door of hope. You can't do it. But I got good news. I want to turn to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Lengthy passage, but a passage that is about to expound and be behind every thing we are going to teach through this sermon series. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 through the remainder of the chapter. Please listen to the word of the Lord. 
For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, i.e., you ain't going to come to know God through the wisdom of this world. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and what? The wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And now he's going to apply this. If Jesus is the wisdom of God in the flesh, Here's what he's going to apply, 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that you are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Hey, church, I don't know if you know this, you wasn't chosen because of you. You wasn't chosen because you brought anything to the table. You wasn't chosen because God needed you. You wasn't chosen in this idea that, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, God's looking down from heaven and he could really use a guy like you. He could really use a girl like you. That's not what it is. No, no, no. It's 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and to despise God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. There it is. Did you get it? But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Ah. Jesus Christ became for us what? Wisdom from God. And all we are going to study, all you are about to see, all we are about to do over the next five weeks in the backdrop is a crucified Savior who has come to save His own for His glory. Because all of the wisdom of God is found in the face of Jesus. May we in this day, may we in this week, may we seek to grow as Jesus did in wisdom and stature, fearing the Lord in our meditation and fearing the Lord in our meandering. Fearing the Lord in our life. That every moment you awaken, every step that you take, You look to the fear of the Lord as the beginning of your knowledge. How many of you 
wake up with an awe of God and all that he has done in Christ. You want to be wise? I just opened the door to hope. I just opened the door to opportunity. And now I ask for you to step through. Will you please stand to your feet in honor of God's word being preached? For those of you who are visiting with us today and for those of you who have been here for a length of time, we're going to respond as we always do to the message preached. I know I am in need of uh, God's amazing grace through the power of His Spirit. How do we respond in this church? We respond in one of two ways. First, if you are lost without Christ, we respond by you coming to faith, by you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and following through in a believer's baptism. That once you have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are to be dunked beneath the water and to be brought back up, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I would want each of you in this room to be saved this morning. I would love to see you come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, who is the true wisdom and the true Savior of your souls. But, however, we also know that in God's providence that this might not be your thing. This, you might come to this moment and say, hey, I want to push away from the table. And if you do, you want to push away. We uh, honor your conscience, but we ask for you to honor ours. For those of you who are believers, baptized by faith, we're going to ask you to come and participate in the Lord's Supper with us. Why? Because I'm reminded that my lack of wisdom in this week isn't going to be received by gaining more wisdom in the next week on my own behalf, in in my own way. I need Jesus. I need to come to Him in His cross and in His body, in His blood, all that He's done for me. For in Him is true wisdom. In the awe of God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So I'm going to come to Him. And I'm going to realize that in my pursuit of wisdom this week through Him, that He alone has given me the will to work and to will according to His good pleasure. I don't know about you, but I look back at this week and I haven't done all wise things. And therefore, I'm in need of Jesus. So if you are in here and you're a believer, regardless of your church affiliation, as long as you're not under church discipline at another location, we would ask for you to come and enjoy this with us. Enjoy the fellowship of the Lord's Supper. If you are a believer in Christ and have received him as your Lord and Savior, this table is open for you. But if you are not a believer, we're going to ask for you not to participate in the Lord's Supper based upon your own testimony. You're pushing away. You may walk up, you may witness, you may see, but we're asking for you not to participate in the elements for it is called the Lord's Supper and those who participate in his supper are those who call him Lord. Now, before we come here, we do not want to enter this place in an unworthy manner. So, faith family and those of you who are believers with me, will you please join me as I bow my head and go before my great God and King, confessing my sin before Him and realizing that I am in need of forgiveness. And if there is anybody in this room right now that is in need of reconciliation and forgiveness,